Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Currently, we are in a teaching series that we've entitled At Our Core, exploring the foundations of Reach Life Church. And this is where we are looking at seven of our core values that we hold dear as a church. And we're, sh- we're doing this right now it's be- because we want to help to explain who we are as a church and why we do what we do. Today we are going to be talking about, I'll be preaching about something that I am very passionate about, and that is about being generationally minded. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Psalm chapter 78. If you would stand with, with me, if you're able to, in honor of God's Word, I'm going to be reading verses one through eight in Psalm chapter 78, beginning with verse 1. This is God's word. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to, my, to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to keep, to teach to their children, that the the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise And tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, as we are diving into your word as we're seeking to see what it means to be generationally minded. I once again just ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to to hear your voice and help us to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us from the very beginning, this is our fourth week, but we began with what I would call our big three core descriptors. Gospel-centered, biblically-rooted, and prayerfully dependent. These are the three that fuel the other four of our core descriptors. And today we're looking at generationally minded, and we've defined this as faithfully entrusting the gospel to the next generation through intentional cross-generational discipleship. Now, I know that's a lot there, but simply put, what we're saying is is that the message of the good news of Jesus is to be faithfully handed down from one generation to the next through the concerted efforts of all of God's people. And so, as it's been said before, it requires all God's people to do all of God's work. And so, uh, this message this morning is not just for parents. Don't check out on me young people. Don't check out on me singles. Don't check out on me empty nesters. This message is for the entire 
church because it requires the entire church to make sure that the gospel goes from our generation to the next generation and beyond. And it's, it's kind of like the 4x4 four four, 400 relay. I don't know if you ever ran track, but that is a track meet. The guy in the, in the picture there, I know what you thought when you first saw him. You thought it was me, uh, except I just don't have muscles that look like that, and I'm not that good looking. But I do have a baton in my hand, you know. And so I don't know if you, what you know about this race, but there are four runners that run in a, uh, this, this type of race. They all run equal legs. And the guy that starts, starts with a baton in his hand. And the goal is to run from the beginning to the end and pass the baton to the next runner who will pass the baton to the next runner who, and so on until it gets to, across the finish line. That is the goal of, of a relay like this. And the success of this race depends not only on the runners running with the baton in their hand, but it also uh, is based upon whether or not they can pass the baton to the next runner successfully. And, you know, this is usually where the race is either won or lost, when you are passing the baton. Many runners, many teams have been disqualified because they were not able to pass the baton to the next runner. And if we, if, if we look at this race as the church... If we look at each generation as one of the legs of a race, we have all been given the church, the gospel, the baton, the gospel, and we are to run with it in our hands faithfully throughout the time that we are living. But we're also, during that time, we are to take that baton and safely pass it to the next generation. But you know, I have some, this morning I have some bad news and I have some good news, and I'm going to start with the bad news, and that is that we have a major problem on our hands within the church when it comes to passing the baton, when it comes to the exchange of the gospel to the next generation. As John Stott puts it, puts it this way, he says, all around us we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands Altogether, And according to research that's, that was con conducted by the Barna Group, USA Today, and Summit Ministries, it is estimated that between 70 and 75 percent of Christian young people, those who professed Jesus in high school, when they graduate, they will abandon their faith and the church. They will exit from the church. I was talking to my children about that this week, my adult children who are adults, and I asked them, think back to your childhood. Who is still walking with the Lord? And it was very difficult for them. We had a, a rather significant sized youth group, and they tried to think of who it was, and they could only name one or two who were still, that they knew of, that were still walking with the Lord. It's, it's a, prom, a problem, isn't it? Passing, having generations stay within the church, having generations be passionate about Jesus. And it's one that we often don't diagnose. It's one that we often don't even seek to address until it's too late. And I think one of the reasons that is is because when our children are, are young and, and, you know, down here, they look so innocent. Well, at least when they're sleeping, they look innocent, right? But, you know, they, they have a way of, of being able to memorize verses, 
uh, for a patch or for a trophy. Uh, they, they also are able to sing Christian songs, and they're, they're also able to confess that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But what the data is showing is that once they come out from under their parents and they are to walk in this world, the data is showing that the baton is being dropped and young people are exiting the race in search of another gospel. And to make matters worse, it's been reported that those of those who remain only, get this, one half of 1% of those who remain in the church have what they would call a biblical worldview. And uh, when we say biblical worldview, we would say that they believe that there is absolute moral truth, that that exists, that the Bible is completely inerrant. Someone who has a biblical worldview believes that Satan is a real being, not just symbolic, that a person cannot earn their salvation through their works, their good works. Someone who has a healthy biblical worldview believes that uh, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth and that God is the su supreme creator of the heavens and the earth and reigns over the whole universe today. Now, if you, if from that list, you would say, I, I believe that. Did you know that you are in a minority, even within the professing church at large? And so the, as I've been thinking about these things, these things are tragic. They break my heart, uh, not just as a pastor, but just as a, as a believer in Christ. We want to see Jesus' name glorified and honored in our lives and in our children's lives and into the next generations. And, I, and the question I've been asking myself is, whose fault is this? Whose fault is it that we're not duplicating ourselves successfully? Who, whose fault is it, is, that, is it that we are living in an age where the majority of people are biblically illiterate? And, you know, it's easy for us to kind of like stand up and, and, and point the finger at, at something out there. Like, you know, it's, it's the devil. It's the culture in which we live, uh, social media. It's the government. And, and I would say that all those things do have a, a part to play. They contribute to the, the, to the problem. But church, listen, until we wake up, until we sober up, until we own up to the fact that actually we've played a huge part in this problem of the next generation walking away, until we take responsibility for our part in it, then the baton is going to continue to be dropped 75% of the time. And, you know, generational unfaithfulness, is, it's not really this, this new thing like, that we can look back and go, you know, Man, I remember back in the old days. It was so good back in the old days. It was the same in the back in the old days as far as generational unfaithfulness. It's in our passage today in, where the psalmist warns the older generations. Uh, if you look at verse 7, uh, he, he warns the older generations to pay attention so that the next generations should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And look at verse 8. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We remember when the, the Israelites uh, did not go into the promised land. They had a problem with it, didn't they? Even back then. 
Even Cain. Adam and Eve were not able to pass faith on to Cain. And so the bad news, as we're beginning here, is that the odds are against us since we are dealing with an age-old problem that has plagued God's people since the beginning of human history. But listen, there is good news. There is good news for us, church, and, and the good news is this, is that God is for us. The good news is that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And, and while, listen, parents and church, there is no guarantee that if you were to do everything right with your children, like if you were to be totally gospel-centered, if you were to be totally biblically rooted, if you were to be totally prayerfully dependent and raise your children in an environment like that, there is no guarantee that they are going to come out on the other side believing in Jesus. You cannot make your children believe any more than God's going to make us believe. Um, Jesus, the perfect discipler, Perfectly discipled his disciples, and yet one of them rebelled. Judas left him. God in the wilderness with the, with the uh, Israelites, he was a perfect father, and they turned against him. So there's no guarantee that if we do everything perfectly, which we won't, it won't even come close, that our children will believe. But what I tell people is, look, if our children do not believe May it not be because we did not do our part in being faithful to God. Don't let it be because they didn't hear the gospel or see the gospel in our lives. And so the good news is, is that in our passage today, we can be encouraged in two ways. I'm going to point out two gospel truths that are in our passage today that show us how we can partner with God and be generationally minded to help ensure that future generations, at least, they have the opportunity to hear and to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ that we have been given. So, if you're taking notes, uh, the first gospel truth I want us to see is that genera generational mindedness requires that we be diligently intentional. Generational mindedness requires we be Diligently intentional. And what I mean by that is we can't just have good intentions. But we need to diligently act upon them. Let's look at verse 4 in our passage. It says, We will not hide what God has said and done from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. You see that? Reaching the next generation does not just happen by chance. We have to be diligently intentional. And that's because when it comes to passing the torch to the next generation. When, when we're passing the torch to the next generation, it's not just good enough to pass it, the torch. It's gotta, we want it to still be lit when it goes to the next generation. And what I'm about to share is this applies not just to sharing your faith or passing your faith. This, this applies to whether uh, giving wealth to your children, passing wealth on, or passing a family business. Anything that's important 
that you want to pass on to the next generation. There is this predictable pattern that occurs when the older generation assumes that the younger generation understands and appreciates the sacrifices that the older generations went through to give the younger generations a better life. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Aaron McKee, he was a former NBA basketball player, and he, was, he currently coaches in college. He said that one, one day he was talking to one of his friends, and evidently this friend was a wealthy man. And he, said, he, he asked him how his friend how he saw his children's future. And, and his friend said, my grandfather walked 10 miles every day. My father walked five miles. I am driving a Cadillac. My son is in a Mercedes Benz, and my gr- grandson will be in a Ferrari. But my great-grandson will be walking again. Now, when Aaron asked him, why is that, his friend, friend responded, tough times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. Many will not understand, but you have to raise warriors. And gentlemen, and there's a lot of truth in that in there. Uh, This could be an entire sermon. We're not going to go on that today. But it is true that strong men create easy times, and that weak men create tough times. And so the question we have to be asking us ourselves, gentlemen, what times are we creating for our families and our church and those around us? That's another sermon, but the point I'm wanting to get at is that we need to be intentional about raising warriors. And and when we apply this truth to the church, oftentimes there is this uh, first generation that Uh, is in a family that did not believe in God, and they come to Jesus, and that person breaks the chain, which brings about generational change. I don't know if you know who that person was in your family line. I do. I know who it was in my family family line. It was my grandfather, my mom's dad, O.L. Vogler. He came to faith in Christ, and each generation has seemed to be able to build upon his faith and continues to move forward, moving forward. But that first generation understands what it was like to live in darkness. They understand what it was like to live in despair. And they understand what it was like to to, uh, go from being an enemy of God to sitting at his table as forgiven sons and daughters. And what happens is as you continue to go down the line, unless you are diligently intentional you will begin to raise generations that can parrot, that can parrot the truths of, truths of God without embracing God himself. And when that happens, you're just one step away from the next generation just totally abandoning the faith. Okay? So we need to be diligent. What does that look like? That's a, that's a question we need to be able to answer. Because I think everyone in this room would agree with what I'm saying. So, so what does it look like to be diligently intentional? Well, I want to begin with parents. You know, Scripture teaches that when it comes to passing the baton to the next generation, parents, listen, we are plan A. Plan A is the parents, uh, are the parents for discipling their children. And then, church, we are meant to come alongside of parents to help them equip and to assist and to encourage them 
in their parenting. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 7. It says, you shall teach them, that is, you, you shall teach the ways of the Lord diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That passage right there is very relational, isn't it? In order to do what this passage is teaching, you have to be in relationship with your children. You have to be building meaningful relationships with your children. You have to be in their lives in meaningful ways in order to pass the baton. In that four-by-four race, they have to get right up upon one another in order to pass. You don't just toss it to them. You want it to still be in both of your hands before you pass it on to the next runner. And that's the same thing with the faith. We have to be closely in relationship with our children. And church, listen, we never want to step in front of or usurp the parent's authority and position. And we do not want to deprive parents of their privilege of being the primary disciplers of their children. That is a great honor to be able to disciple. If God has given you children, it is a great honor to disciple your own children. That's God's plan. That's, that's plan A for God. I want to look at Ephesians 6, 4 uh, in, in, in light of this. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That phrase, bring them up, means to raise a child to maturity by providing for physical and psychological needs. So bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, moms, in no way is this passage diminishing uh, your role as a mom or relinquishing you of the responsibility of being a part of discipling your children. You are to be and very involved in that. But what it does show is that fathers... We are to intentionally lead in this. And this morning, if you are a single mom, a single dad, a single parent, I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. Uh, God gives grace in those types of situations uh, to give you the ability to, to raise your children, to love Jesus into their adult lives. As a matter of fact, in our church, uh, I was thinking about this uh, this week, I was thinking about leaders in our church, and there are, there are many uh, leaders in our church who were raised by single, a single parent, and they have vibrant walks with the Lord. But being intentional, the point I'm wanting to get at is that being intentional begins with the parents being first in line when it comes to shepherding their children, and then it comes to the church. And that's where we want to come around parents. And this is where, uh, even if you don't have kids, uh, if you're part of Reach Life Church, listen, if you don't have kids and you're part of Reach Life Church, you and I have a part to play. Because uh, you can either be a, you can be a spiritual grandparent, you can be a spiritual parent. If you don't have kids, you can be a spiritual mom, spiritual dad to someone whose parents maybe, maybe don't have parents. And we hope to fill this church up with people in this culture who, who do not have uh, spiritual parents. Uh, we can also, uh, you can also be a spiritual brother and a spiritual sister in Christ. And if you haven't noticed, uh, Reach Life Church, there, um, there are a bunch of little um, uh, 
human beings that are crawling and running around uh, this, this facility. And the good news is that there's more on the way. Uh, there, there's more that are coming. And you know what that means, right? It, it means that we have tired and exhausted moms and dads crawling around here, too, who need uh, the church. I love that. Uh, we we want to be a, a church that is coming alongside of, of families who are raising their kids. And, you know, that's why we have Reach Kids, what we call Reach Kids. This is our children's ministry where we're intentionally seeking to come alongside parents in a couple of ways. We have a for example, in, on Sunday mornings, uh, we have a curriculum that we teach each week, and it's to help children see that the Bible is, is made up of a bunch of uh, individual true stories that come to make up one big story that points to Jesus, his work and his person, and what he has done. We want to make sure that children, we all, not just our children, but we all understand that Jesus is the hero of the scriptures, and that everything points to him. And so, listen, if let's say that you, you're like, well, you know, I'm not really uh, biblically literate. Well, you want to become biblically literate? Then sign up for Reach Kids. We'll give you a background check, and then we will train you on how to teach uh, children. And the thing about it is if you volunteer in Reach Kids, number one, you're going to grow. You're going to grow in your ability to see how Jesus is in every story of the Bible. And you're also going to help our children grow in their faith. Many of us in this room were affected by a Sunday school teacher or someone else in the church that influenced us. But also what you're going to do when you sign up and you serve on a Sunday morning, you're going to be giving one of these parents who's you know, crawling around, you're going to be giving them a much-needed break. So that they can come in and be fed uh, without distraction. And so if you want to serve a mom, sign up for Reach Kids right after the service. So now another way that, that we want to be diligently in, intentional is that as our children grow, as they mature, as they begin uh, to be exposed to other competing worldviews, as they be begin to have their own thoughts, we want to help equip them to think critically with a true biblical worldview. Now, studies, uh, as I said earlier, showed that only 25 to 30 percent of those who graduate from high school in the church stay in the church and, and follow Christ. And one of the things that they found out is that many of them were equipped with a biblical worldview that helps them to make sense of the actual things going on in the world. In other words, they're shown how to walk uh, they're shown how what we talk about on Sundays actually connects in the world and how to walk in it when they're in the world in a real way. It's not just uh, information. It's information that is applied. And, you know, as we are equipping our children with a worldview, we want to make sure that they, they have the freedom to voice things, that this is a safe place, to voice questions that they're having, doubts that they're having, that they're seeing, concerns that arise as they're learning to think for themselves and as they're learning to, that's, what, that's the process of making your faith your faith, not mom and dad's anymore, not just the church's. This is what I truly believe. And you know, one of the worst things, church, that we can do to a child is say, who's asking questions is say, don't do that. 
Just believe. Just God said it. I believe it and that settles it for me. Now that is true. That is true. But we want to go beyond that. Because there's a lot of times that we can discuss these things in ways that shows this actually is, does make sense. This is not just a blind, mindless faith. And so just telling our children just to believe is not going to be enough. It's not going to cut it in this culture that we are living in. We need to equip our children to be critical thinkers, which will, again, require us to diligently be intentional. So that's the first gospel truth I want us to see this morning. The second one is that in order for us uh, to be generationally minded, it's going to require that we all be all in. We all be all in. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord says, give ear. That, that little phrase there means to listen in a way that you're prepared to take action. You're not just listening, oh, that's, you're going to take action. Listen, uh, listen, give ear. And then it says, look, it says, oh, my people. It doesn't say, oh, my parents, oh, my pastors. It says, oh, my people. This is all, for all of us to be all in. And the reason that we need to be all in is because, again, those who uh, have done studies have seen that those who remain in the faith also have reported that they made connections with older mentors in the church, um, with people who have a track record that shows what it looks like to follow Jesus over time. That's what a lot of people are looking for, isn't it? Just show me someone that really believes what, what they say that they're really living it. So young people, I want to encourage you, don't be shy. Find you someone that's older in the faith, that's good at something in an area. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's parenting, uh, maybe it's uh, physical uh, well-being, and talk to them. Ask them questions. Let them mentor you. Older people, I want to encourage you. Find younger people. Make yourselves available. I would encourage you to invite uh, older, listen, us old people, invite younger couples into your home to share a meal with them. Just sit down and talk. Not so you can, you know, get out the whiteboard and start teaching, but let them ask you questions. And ask, actually ask them questions. Because listen, what worked back in 1963, it doesn't work anymore culturally. Now the truth is the same, if it should be, but the way that we apply it, so many things we will learn from the younger generation. And so many things younger generation, you can learn from the older generation. We want to be a vibrant community of people who are seeking to live as if our beliefs are actually true. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to not just be talking about it, but we want to be walking it. And that means uh, that parents and the church, we must display an authentic passion for Jesus. Otherwise, our children are going to be tempted to rebel. Why? Well, because our children know when they get older, your children will know what you are truly passionate about. And they can also detect hypocrisy. And so if, you know, you're kind of, you know, nonchalant about Jesus, but on Sunday mornings you're, you're singing Jesus, 
You're everything, but the rest of the time you're absorbed with something else. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's hobbies. Maybe it's uh, watching sports or uh, you know, protecting your, your little kingdom, building it, protecting yourself. Our children are going to know it. They're going to know what you're passionate about, and it's going to make it more difficult to pass the baton to the next generation. Because as it has been said, you can't give what you ain't got, right? So how do you get to be authentic? How do we get that authentic passion and keep that authentic passion so that we can pass it on to the next generation? Well, I don't know if you noticed it in our text this morning, but this passage is gospel-centered. Um, when I was preaching about this a few couple weeks ago, I said that before God tells us what to do, in order to motivate us, he reminds us what he's already done. Remember that? That's how he motivates us. He doesn't say, just obey me. He shows you what he's done for you, so that will motivate you to do it. And that's what he does in this passage. Look at verse 4. He says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. Now notice, he doesn't tell them uh, what to do yet. But tell to the coming generation what? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And then in verses 5 through 8, after reminding them of what God has done, who he is and what he's done, he tells us to teach the laws and the instruction from the Lord. And so if we, if, if we just jump straight to what we're supposed to do, we're taking out the motivation, the power of the gospel that empowers us to live the life that glorifies God. And if that happens, and I don't know how many uh, times I've heard this uh, from people who have left the church is, is they were just like, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, so I quit. And they end up leaving the church and giving their lives to something else. And that's a lot to think about this morning, isn't it? Uh, because it's a real problem, but I'm encouraged because it's one of those things that it doesn't have to be that way. And um, so I just want to close this morning by, by asking you um, just a simple question. And that is, are you all in? I want you to think about your life right now, where you're sitting, when it comes to, to Jesus himself. And I'm not talking about the church right now. I'm talking about in Jesus. Are you all in to Jesus? Do you have something, the passion that you can pass on? Do you have what I'm, I've been talking about this morning? And another way to ask it is, uh, is Jesus your first love? I'm not asking if you love Jesus, but is he your first love? If, if, if you were to talk to those who are, and this might be a great question to ask at lunch, but if you ask those who really know you, hey, you know what? What is my first love? Who is my first love? Would they say Jesus? Or would they say that it's something else? Now, one of the things I like to talk about when, we're, when I'm talking about the faith is that it's, it's much like a ship that we are, let's just say the North Star is Jesus. We're to point our ship this way. And, you know, those of us uh, who came to Christ, we, we pointed our, our ship to Christ. Um, that's not how we started, though. We were born 
pointed the opposite direction, going as far away from Christ as we could. We thought we could make it on his own, but on our own. But then we heard his voice. We heard him calling us. And it, it wasn't the voice of an angry father that says, come back here or I'll punish you. No, it was, it was the, the kind voice of the good shepherd. Jesus called us to himself. We heard him say, come to me. Come home. Find rest in me. And, and we came home to him. He cleaned us up. He forgave us of our sins. He gave us a new heart. He seated us at the table with the Father. And in that moment, he became our all. You, if you are in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. There was a time when Jesus was your all. And that's what I'm asking this morning. Is that where you're at this morning? Or have you left your first love? Is there something else that has displaced Jesus? Now, sometimes it is, it's sin. And, and maybe this morning, as I've said that, you're, you, it's right there in your, in your head. You're like, that's it. I know. Sometimes, though, it's not something bad. It's something good. But it's not to be in the place of Christ. I don't know, you know, I don't know where every person is this week. This is something that I have to examine myself with regularly because the ship, I can get it going in the right direction, but it always just seems to want to drift. And if we're not intentional about it, if we're not diligently intentional, we can wake up and go, where am I? And so what I want to encourage us this morning is to examine our hearts, examine our lives, and remember, what was it in your life that you were doing when you were passionate about Christ. Remember that and go back and do that again. Start there again. That's where you can start. Also, I want to encourage you uh, after the service, if, uh, if, you're, you know, one, if you're in a place where you're, man, I want to grow more, let's talk. Get together with another brother or sister. Come talk to me. Um, other people in the church, let's pray. Let's talk about it. And maybe this morning you're listening to me and you're like, I've never had a passion for Jesus. Uh, Jesus has never been my first love, but you can hear him calling you. You can hear the shepherd calling you, saying, come to me, knowing that if you put your faith in him, he's going to receive you. And what he'll do is he'll forgive you of your sins, all your sins, all your rebellion. He'll make you right with God, and then he'll give you what, what we call his righteousness. Everything that Jesus did good, you will get credit for it. And then he will give you purpose in life. And that purpose is to glorify God for the rest of, of your days on earth. And then we will see him one day face to face and be with Jesus together, face to face. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning right now to call out to him and ask him to save you. Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, I want to encourage you by faith to be obedient.